This podcast is classified MA15 plus and is not suitable for listeners under the age of 15. It contains strong adult themes and violence. I was sent in as bait because of how young I looked to lure guys into the bushes. Once there, the street kids bashed and robbed them. Previously on True Stories, we covered how the events surrounding the death of Dr George Duncan led to South Australia becoming the first state to decriminalise homosexuality in 1975. A landmark moment in Australian gay law reform. The thing is, that didn't make it legal to have sex at Beats, and they remained popular places for men to hook up with other men. So I wanted to understand who was using them and find out more about the beat scene in Adelaide. The beat scene is something that's been around, I guess, since the 1940s, predominantly in Sydney and Melbourne and Brisbane. But it wasn't until sort of the early 70s when homosexuality was legalised that it became a thing, in inverted commas. Brad Shannon worked as a male prostitute he started at Beats in Perth, then moved to Sydney and ended up in Adelaide. I've been doing Beats since I was about 12. I still continue to do Beats now and I'm nearly 50. According to most of my friends and, and acquaintances, I'm probably Australia's premier authority on beat culture, <laughs> um, sadly. <laughs> One of the idiosyncrasies of the Beats is that they're predominantly um, populated by married or bisexual men like myself that don't necessarily interact with the gay community. With Beats being secretive places, they provided protection and anonymity to a lot of men who wanted to hide where they were going and what they were doing. There were numerous places within that parklands around the diameter of the city that were Beats. Bill Gardens was probably the most notorious one. In its heyday in the 80s, you could have anything from 20 to 30 men there overnight at any one time seeking sex with one another. This would go on basically from sunset to sunrise. The victims of the crimes were a mix of openly or more closeted gay and homosexual men. Criminologist Professor Stephen Thompson studied gay murders in New South Wales in the 1980s and 90s. They were drawn from a range of different social groups. You know, they were actually unemployed, they were students, they were hospitality workers, they were white-collar office workers, they were tradesmen, they were professionals and managers. A very broad range of occupations. His work showed that the victims of gay bashing murders at Beats represented a cross-section of society, skewing middle-aged. Because Beats are discreet places, it would be near impossible to survey who is actually using them and that secrecy also protected the attackers. It was, I guess, what you would call part of the deal, you know. I mean, we were on the fringes. Brad Shannon. These bashings are commonplace. They're an effect of life, you know, you just have to put up with them. It felt like there could be countless stories out there of incidents at Beats that haven't been told. I put a call out in Adelaide's gay newspaper, Blaze, looking for people with stories of violence at these places. I didn't get much of a response overall. But within hours of my call-out going live, I did receive an extraordinary email from a guy I'll call Todd. Growing up in suburban Adelaide, I was one of six children. But I never really fitted in with my family and I was always in trouble and truant at school often. In my family, 
I was brought up that you finished school, got married, had kids, bought a house, got a good job. But this wasn't me. Homosexuality was never discussed and I couldn't understand why I found guys attractive. I was made to feel like an outcast. In 1983, I was placed in a foster home by my parents. I was 16, but I looked about 13. After being abused by my step-parents, I ran away and lived on the streets of Adelaide. And I fell into the wrong crowd, and I didn't know any better. I just wanted to be liked and accepted. The street kids I hung out with used to go down to Popeye's Boathouse near the River Torrens, well-known cruising area. I was sent in as bait because of how young I looked to lure guys into the bushes. Once there, the street kids bashed and robbed them. I remember the kids saying they did it because they were gay and easy prey. Deep down, I felt sorry for these guys and hated being part of this. After several attacks, I left the group and went and lived on the streets in another part of town. There was a place young guys could go for a bed and a feed that was run by priests. But once the lights went out, they they used to come and drag you out of bed and you were raped by several of the priests there. I tried not to go there, but when you're desperate and hungry and tired, I went back there and I hoped it wouldn't be me chosen that night for them to have their way with. Eventually, after two years on the street, I got my act together and joined the army. But after three months, I was discharged for having a bad back and I went back to Adelaide. By this time I had my axe sorted out, got a job and an apartment. It was then I started cruising the beach myself. South Park, Lansville Gardens, a few well-known public toilets. Sometimes during the day, but mostly at night. I was warned by a mate to watch out for bashes, but I thought I'll be right, I can run fast. One night at Veal Gardens, someone yelled out, BASHES! Everyone ran. I ran, but straight into the bashes, who beat me senseless. I was taken to hospital and the police came and saw me and questioned me, but when they heard where I was, they verbally abused me, calling me a fucking poofter and a pervert and I got what I deserved. It was only after three months that I could leave my apartment. I was by now unemployed and after six months I returned back to the beats. I was lonely and horny and I thought this time I'd know better. But again that voice rang out in the night. Bashers! I got away, but I did see one guy getting attacked, lying on the grass, getting kicked over and over by these guys. After that, I never returned. I'm now 49 and living in the outback, and besides work, I live a life of solitude. It's safe here. There's no violence, and it's beautiful, peaceful, and quiet. I hate returning to Adelaide. There are too many bad memories there for me. But sometimes I have to as my family still live there. But I'll never stay long. That's the email I received from Todd, not his real name, read by an actor. As soon as I finished reading it, I contacted him. I thanked him and asked to meet and chat about all his experiences. He agreed to a Skype conversation. At the agreed time, I logged on and waited. Nobody there. Todd never showed up. I tried ringing him and contacting him, but he never responded and I haven't heard from him since. 
This is something that happened to me on numerous occasions investigating these stories. I'd line up interviews and phone calls with people wanting to talk, but at the last minute they'd back out, or just never show. I can only speculate as to why. Was it the fear of coming forward, identifying you'd been someone who'd been at a beat in those days? It was so risky then. Physical attacks and the impact on your personal life if you were outed. People lost their jobs, like Rex Robinson did when he came forward about the Jim Blacksland case that we covered in the first episode. Everybody thought I was gay, but nobody had enough guts to say anything. When that was on the news, my boss said to me, I think it's time that you left. And I said, is it because of the court case? And he said, well, that'll be your word against mine. Why not? I was treated like shit, basically like shit. Not only from the people at the court, the police, the people I work for. I lost an awful lot because of that case, all because I stood up and mm. helped this guy. As I investigated these cases, I heard numerous stories of gay men who reported the violent crimes committed against them to police, but were laughed out of the police station. As Todd wrote, he was verbally abused by police at the hospital when he was explaining having been bashed. This deterrent to reporting was one of the reasons gay bashings never entered the mainstream consciousness. But even those gay bashings police couldn't ignore had a way of not being treated as such. Immediately following the David Saint murder, we, uh, in reading the media reports from police, it became obvious to us that they were treating it as a burglary gone wrong. Uh, nothing about the fact that that area of the South Parklands was one on beat, or that in fact perhaps David Saint, who apparently was well-known, you know, to, to certain people, um, was out on the gay scene, was in fact homosexual. When I came across the case of David Saint's death, it made me wonder about how many attacks or murders on gay men may have been written off as robberies or otherwise. Next on True Stories, we look into the circumstances surrounding his murder, the police handling of the case, the outrage it caused in the gay community, and how the media played a role. True Stories Season 3 is inspired by Deepwater, SBS's first cross-platform network event. Head to sbs.com.au forward slash true stories for more details. These stories are adapted from Mark Whitaker's long-read investigation into a series of Adelaide gay hate murders, which will be published online at the end of the season. True Stories is an SBS online production. Told by Mark Whitaker. Music and sound by Martin Peralta. Produced by Gina McEwen. Illustrations by Jeremy Lord. And commissioned by Kylie Bolton and Ben Napastek.